but a lot of times a distressed first mortgage borrower is a lot of times in more financial trouble than a distressed second lien borrower who's paying on their first, for example. Do you want to take your creative real estate to the next level? I recently teamed up with some high-level syndicators to create the first true apartment network right here in Denver. Denver Apartment Network is a group of investors focused on achieving passive income through a creative strategy called syndications. To register for the next event for free, you'll find the link in today's show notes. I'll see you there. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and today I'm joined with a very special guest. His name is Dave Van Horn. I met Dave Van Horn finally in person for the first time out here in Denver at the Best Ever Conference just recently. I've been following him for a long time. Guys, just to give you a a brief background on Dave, he started out as a real estate agent and then he moved in and did some property management and then he actually owned a title company and then did some private money lending, a commercial, he was a commercial real estate investor, bought all sorts of things like mobile homes and developments. And today he's actually a very large note buyer. So you guys are in for a treat. His portfolio is over $100 million of notes. So with that, Dave Van Horn, will you tell us a little bit more about your background? Um, my background? What well, didn't I, I say? You, well, you know what it is? I, I sometimes I'm, I'm afraid to tell people my background because I did so many things over the years. It, I feel like I'm a jack of all jerks sometimes. But <laughs> I, um, I went to school to be an accountant, and I didn't like accounting, and I switched to management. And when I got out of school, I was in construction and, you know, worked in construction a long time and became a realtor when I was 26. And uh, I came at real estate investing from the realtor angle Mm -hmm. and I um, was taking a course for my broker's license and it was a real estate investing course. And the teacher basically said, how many people in here have credit cards? We all raised our hand. And he said, how many of you are buying houses with them? And all the hands went down and he took our textbook and threw it in the trash. And I'll never forget that night. And um, credit cards back then didn't have the fees like today. And I probably bought about 10 or 12 houses that way where I'd buy the house with a credit card, fix it up with a credit card, move a tenant in, refinance the house, pay the credit cards off and do it again. And I would actually cash out with some cash and still cash flow a few hundred a month. And and then I, you know, I built my portfolio up and, you know, eventually I got to 40 units, but I, um, what I did next was I was, um, you know, the property values jumped up and then I was putting HELOCs on home equity lines of credit on my properties and then it just kept snowballing, you know, and then I was a private lender and I was doing more, uh, eventually doing commercial deals, but I was a Remax agent. I was a property manager. Like you said, I owned a title company. Um, so I did a lot of different things over the years and, um, and today, I, I, what, you know what it was? I got into the institutional note space by accident. Hmm. I, I used to run a real estate investor networking group called Ring. And um, it started out with a dozen guys and turned into 8,000 people in our database from Baltimore to New York. And we were in like uh, five states and six cities. So I used to interview the speakers. And one of the speakers was uh, you know, a guy out of Manhattan who was raising money for pools of mortgages. And of course, I didn't do anything for like three years. And um, my partner did. My partner invested some money and uh, made 
good returns. And, and what, right before the crash, we reached out to that person and said, hey, if you show us how to collect on distressed debt, you know, we'll buy assets from you. And the, and the rest is kind of history. We literally started out with four loans. And today, you know, well, well in the thousands of loans, seven, over 7,000 probably today. Wow. any given time so you know um yeah it's evolved a little bit right I, today i have 30 employees you know that's amazing i definitely want to get a little bit more into the when you were buying uh houses with your credit cards and <laughs> i want to dive into that a teeny bit more and sure. um and i'd actually like to talk about um some of the ins and outs of of how a heloc works in case someone's curious and hasn't done one before um but for the audience, one of the things that struck out, stuck to my mind when um, doing the pre-interview with you today is when we were talking about you having $100 million of notes over 7,000 different uh, uh, assets, one of the things is that you mentioned that your primary objective, I don't know if that's the word you use, but is to keep the homeowners in their home. So let's start there. Tell us, tell us um, how do you keep homeowners in the home and uh, what are other people's objectives? When they're buying notes, what are the other exit strategies available to people? Well, I mean, it, it's really quite simple. You can either exit through the property or through the homeowner. Um, because we started out in the junior lien space, which junior liens were, well, at the time we didn't know any better. The person that we were buying from that was teaching us was in the junior lien space. So we, you know, there's more upside, but they're lower uh, barrier to entry. and. Um, with junior liens, you tend to exit through the borrower more than the property. Okay. With, with uh, first mortgages, you tend to exit through the property more than you do the borrower. You, you, know, you know, if the borrower is in the property, though, you're going to try to work it out and keep them in there as best you can. Um, but a lot of times a distressed first mortgage borrower is a lot of times in more financial trouble than a distressed second lien borrower who's paying on their first, for example. You know, so okay. they're, they're, they're different degrees of financial difficulty. Uh, but the junior lien space is, is definitely where we started. And of course, that was our, that's like our core philosophy at our company is to try to keep homeowners in their homes, anything we could do to do that. Um, and then, of course, there's people that, you know, walk away from a property or something. There's not, not much you can do. Or um, if it's a vacant property, you might do cash for keys or... Um, you know, or you'll proceed through foreclosure um, and then liquidate the property, whether you, you know, sell it at sale, foreclosure sale, or whether you, you could renovate and rent it, you could renovate and sell it, you can uh, do, do uh, hard money on it. You know, we do a lot okay. of different crazy things, uh, exiting deals in different ways. What, is, what uh, does cash for keys look like, Dave? Well, a lot of times it's a, you might uh, do an administrative fee to get a deed in lieu, you know, basically, uh, you know, help people move on. Uh, it could, you know, we, you could pay the realtor, you could pay the mover, you could pay an administrative fee, you can assist the homeowner. Really, our goal is to leave all the stakeholders we come involved, you know, in contact with in a better place. So that's one of our, you know, core, core values, so to speak. Uh, so even if it's our, so it's our investors, it's our note buyers, it's the banks, we try to leave everybody in a better place, uh, but especially the homeowner. And we, and we can do that usually, you know, some people you can help more than others. So sometimes you can write down principal or extend the term or lower the rate, uh, do some creative things to try to keep them in their home. 
Um, sometimes if that doesn't work, you can buy them time or help them move on. Uh, you can still help them in, in a lot of yeah. different ways. Yeah. So on, it sounds like there's a lot of creative ways to get, keep them in their home. What is one that you use most often? To keep them in their home? Well, a lot of times it's, uh, usually it's a life event, right? So there's four reason, four main reasons people default, right? It's death, divorce, job loss, and medical. Okay. So they're, they're the main reasons. Um, so sometimes this life event, um, things have changed over time. So a lot of, a lot of the loans we buy have been delinquent for a period of time, you know, which, especially yeah. with junior liens, three to five years isn't uncommon. Even with senior liens, they're a lot, often a couple years late, you know, been delinquent. Our record's 10 years. We've had a loan that was delinquent 10 years. Wow. So a lot of times their life situation changed, right? So they might've went through a divorce and now they're married to Prince Charming or, and, and they make more money or, you know, they were sick, now they're healthy. So there's a lot of things that change in people's lives where they might have the ability to stay in the home or they want to stay in the home. So there's a lot of different things you could do. Now, if someone, you know, is destitute and lost everything, there's not much, there's not as much you can do in those situations, but. Um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. What, well, one of the things that I think you've mentioned a couple of times is that you, you pretty much started with junior liens. And you said the reason why is because the person who taught you was doing junior liens. Yep. Uh, so I guess my question is, it almost sounds like you've moved on to only senior uh, first liens, but I wanted to clarify, um, are you still buying junior liens? Yes, but okay. the, the difference is this, is the availability and deal flow. So once you get into to become a larger and larger fund, mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have more capital to deploy than assets that they can always readily find. Okay, so that makes sense. When you're when you're small, it's great. You can buy plenty of second liens to, you know, satisfy your appetite. But as you get bigger and bigger and bigger, it's harder. Okay. Uh, last year, we probably bought three times as many first liens as we did. Uh, well, capital deployed. Okay. Is a better way makes, to say it because yeah. first liens cost more money. And yeah, yeah, but we probably you know three times as much. Uh, to the senior lien space as we did. Now, most people don't know that about us probably. Yeah. Well, one, and another thing that you mentioned is when you're talking about because your fund is getting bigger and bigger and that's pushing you toward um, first liens. What's a, what is a fund for the audience? What is a fund? Um, Well, we, we raise private capital uh, from high net worth investors. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, we've been doing that a long time. I started out doing that in commercial real estate and, uh, you know, started doing it with the junior liens and then have moved on to senior liens and our typical offering is 20 million at a time. Um, so, and you know, and we, and we raised that in a couple months. So. Wow. That's, uh, you need to come on our team, help us, help (laughs) us raise some capital. There Um, you go. Well, (laughs) the, the difference with notes though, to be honest with you is it is a little bit of an intangible. So like if you're raising money for apartments or student housing or I don't know, mobile home parks, you can see it and touch it or look at the plans with notes. It's not quite that easy. Um, and you also need the full amount. So you're, there's, usually there's no bank financing involved. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So when you say a hundred million, it is a hundred million. It's mm-hmm. not um, like a hundred million in apartments might really be twenty million or, or thirty yeah. million. Well, and, and actually, to to um, kind of point on that subject just a tiny bit, when you're buying a hundred million dollars of non-performing notes, 
it may actually be worth a lot more than that. What 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 would uh, the what would the note value be when you bought a about a hundred million dollars of notes? What, what would the real value be? Well, it depends on the quality of the assets, right? Mm -hmm. So first liens vary too. I mean, it could be you know the lower in price you go, the cheaper they are. It might be you know it could be fifty sixty cents on the dollar if you get in the low. Mm -hmm. uh, values. If you get into higher values, you know, over 250,000 or 350,000, you know, you could pay 80 cents or more, some, you know, and you'll see first liens even trading at par sometimes mm. for reperformers. So um, with some history, but wow. you get into junior liens, it could be anywhere from three cents to 33 cents, you know, so it yeah. varies based on quality. Um, with junior liens, there's multiple categories, usually based on the senior lien status and equity, wow. those types of things. So it, it runs a gamut. You know, there's a, in some ways, there's a wider range with junior liens than okay. senior liens. Yeah. You, you mentioned a term um, called re-performing. Uh, would you mind talking about what re-performing means? Uh, usually it was a loan that was uh, once delinquent and then mm -hmm. got back got modified got back on track um okay. and it's been reperforming usually less than a year so it's in that interim part and then once they're performing a while um they're back into performing status typically okay good deal and you said you've in, in the pre-interview we talked about you have multiple of these note funds and uh including most of them they started out being i think we talked about reg reg d 506b which i guess means you can have some unaccredited investors but now are you doing only accredited investors yes we've we've been almost we only did like one fund like that um but ever since we've been mostly accredited investors and the reason being is because we can always we sell notes so we could sell a note to anyone yeah uh, so it wasn't like there wasn't an investment option for the folks that weren't accredited um and the folks that are accredited um you know, it depends. They have both options. They could buy a note or come into the fund, but the, it depends whether it's an up or down market. So like in a down market, the fund um, pays less than a note maybe, but in an up market, the fund could be a little bit higher than the notes. So there's more demand in an up market. So it's a supply and demand equation, just like real estate. Um, you know, how, whether you have an up or down market, it, it fluctuates uh, the value of the notes. So, okay. Well, um, I want to get into two of the questions that I started to bring up, the buying houses with credit cards and the HELOCs. Um, sure. But so, yeah, let's just get right into buying houses with credit cards. Is that something people can still use that strategy or is it kind of gone out the window because you mentioned that now there's fees for taking funds from a credit card? Well, I don't think you really need to do it today. Um, okay. And the reason being... The, the, the theory is the same. It's just other people's money. That's mm -hmm. not your own. So a lot of us are stuck on the fact that we think we need money to do deals, which you do, but it doesn't have to be your own money. And I think uh, the, the disadvantage to like credit cards would be, you know, your debt to income ratio would get all wacky okay. over time and the fees would start to crush you. Whereas today you could just use private money or hard money and have the same impact. There's no, there's no need. So if you have a true deal, uh, the money will find you, okay. you know, especially if you go to some kind of meetup or RIA group, there's plenty of people that'll lend uh, on your deal normally, uh, especially from like people with self-directed retirement accounts. They're, they're the type of folks that would love to lend you money 
you know, other real estate investors. So and easy enough to get the money if once you find a deal. So it it definitely um, seems like it's very easy for for you to do. Uh, obviously, you've you've been really successful at raising private capital. Um, in what I guess for somebody who is newer and getting into that space, what tips at going to the RIA and talking? How how would they talk about things? Who would they talk to? What would they say? Uh, to kind of start to that track record of of raising capital. Um, well, a lot of raising capital is your network and the size of your network and who you know. In the beginning, I was always, you know, going to more meetings, meeting more people. Um, but then over time, I realized it's how many people know me. So today, I, a lot of my investors come through my blogging or podcast or speaking. Cool. Uh, whereas in the old days, it was more like I started with the people on my phone. But I had been a realtor a good while. I had been a contractor a good while. So my network was pretty pretty good size. Okay. And then when I ran that um, real estate group, my network really grew. And over time, we had like 8,000 members in our database. So wow. just That's by being amazing. the host of a meeting sometimes um, is powerful because everybody knows you, even though you might not know everybody coming, you know, yeah. very well, you know, but, yeah, uh, totally. but they know who you are because you're running the meeting or you're helping to run the meeting. In, in my experience, and I run a group too, it, it almost feels like there's the there's a lot of people that have the funds and they go to meeting after meeting after meeting until they can finally feel comfortable with a person at that meeting. And they just, that's when they kind of strike and just go up to uh, Dave and, and say, hey, I've got a couple hundred grand. Um, could you do anything with it? Is that, that's pretty much how it goes, right? Well, I, I think, you know, you're hitting, you're hitting all around it. And one of the, one of the things that worked for me was, you know, I was involved in mobile home parks at one point and mm. we had no experience at that. So we built a team of people who did, and that helps too. And, and if you're doing houses, you definitely want to build a portfolio and take pictures and videos and, um, and another, there's some other, uh, I don't want to say tricks. There's other ways to, uh, connect with people. One way, which is unorthodox is to lend people money through private money. And when, because I owned a title company, for example, I would lend out money and then people would lend me money. Uh, so that's a weird way. And then the other one is to get involved with charities. Sometimes there's a lot of high okay. network folks in charities and that worked well for me too, you know? Awesome. 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 All right. So what we'll do. Okay. HELOC. Uh, so what's the ins and outs of a HELOC? Is it, is it just a credit card? It's a line of credit. So is it a credit card do th that they hand you or how do you access money through a HELOC? Actually today they do both. Uh, it's a line of credit that's backed by a house and there are uh, unsecured um, business lines of credit, for example, to LLCs that's been, that have been in business a little while. Um, but I didn't really like them as much. They were good for short term flip where you're renovating or something, but the, the home equity line of credit tied to your primary or to your rental property. You know, over time I had a couple million dollars of equity and I, I, I had 11 lines of credit at one point and I was able to access, you know, half a million dollars and go do what I wanted, which back, you know, in the day was a lot of money. Uh, today it's probably not much money in some of these markets, but, but you get the theory. It's really the theory that you have access to the equity. There's, there's two big advantages to having lines of credit on your properties. 
One is asset protection through debt, and the other one is liquidity. So gosh forbid I get sick and I'm out of work nine months, and I go down to the bank and say, can you lend me money against my portfolio? And they'll say, you don't have a job. We're not lending you a dime. Whereas if I put it in place while I'm healthy and, and have income, it's a good time to do it. Um, and then if, if you own, you know, had property that might be in your own name or something and someone were to sue you or something, uh, if you owe 90% against the property at the county courthouse, it looks like you don't have anything. It looks like you have debt against it, mm, where okay. it could be just access to capital. You, you might have had a line of credit that you didn't even access, but at the courthouse, it shows you owe it. So. Yep. Yep. That, that makes a lot of sense. I like that. All right. So are you ready to move into the final five? Sure. <laughs> sure. All right. All right, so first off, uh, what is the most creative deal you've ever done? Um, you know, it's, it's, that's a tough one because everything we do is creative. Uh, but probably, you know, I have a book coming out and, and some of the, it, it's all strategy in the book and probably some of the neatest things that I like personally is where I have uh, interesting things, interesting strategies to pay my liabilities, like how my investments mm. pay my debts. So I'll give you a couple quick examples. One would be where um, like I had a buddy wanted to put an addition on his house and he took a home equity line of credit on his house and he, I told him take a little bit extra and he took a little bit extra and purchased a note. And the payment from the note paid the payment on the home equity line of credit, and he ended up getting a free addition. So yeah. that's what I mean by that. Or yeah. another one would be um, people do that with life insurance too. At one point, I sold life insurance years ago and um, did a little financial planning. But when you, you could take a, uh, I worked for a builder when I was 20, and the builder would borrow money out of his policy, build a house, make 7,500 grand on the house. This is 30 years ago. And then he would pay back the policy. Um, and by doing that, you get basically you have free insurance. And um, so none of the high net worth folks I work with, I go, oh, your agent didn't show you how to get free insurance? You got the wrong <laughs> agent, you know? Um, but anyhow, we would show them the same strategy. And a lot of times we would use a note or it could be the cash flow from a house. It could be anything that's cash flowing, right? So you could overfund the policy, borrow money out buy a note and the payment from the note would pay back the loan and you end up with free insurance or low cost insurance. Yeah. And um, it's a great strategy, another safe bucket, like an IRA account okay. uh, to put money in. And then the last one would be how I paid for my youngest son's college for about a third of the money. So a lot of people perk up when you say that, right? Yeah. The, um, I don't know if you have children or you're still paying for college, but anyhow, the, um, the way this works was uh, my son was going to college and he's like, dad, why don't you just write a check for college? And I'm like, nah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what, um, I'll show you how to pay it back. And I had my son take out a student loan and my wife took out a student loan and you know, we were borrowing money at like 6% and we we're making the arbitrage of, of hard money. Oh and God. that arbitrage the whole time he was going to school was nice, but then there was a second component. So my son was actually working at PPR and, um, you know, a couple of months after he got out of school and he's like, I thought you were going to show me how to pay this back. So I said, well, how much money you got saved up? And he's like, oh, I got like five grand. And I said, well, let me see what kind of notes we have laying around. So I got him a note and the note, I guess he had borrowed like 15 or 17 grand and the payment on the note paid the, the uh, loan back for about a third of the money. And between the arbitrage and the, you know, buying a discounted mortgage, 
with a payment stream. And actually, the payment stream was longer than, I think he had a 10-year student loan. It was actually longer than that. So he would collect okay. off the note longer. Yep. So, my, so my son's moving to LA. He's a writer. And he, I drive him to the airport. And I hand him an envelope with the five grand. And, I, and he's like, what's that for? And I said, oh, I don't want you to tell anybody your dad didn't pay for college. <laughs> and um, so he goes to LA. And he ships a used car out there. And he calls me up one day. And I know, here's how I know it worked. He goes, um, my car just went. And I, and I go, yeah. And he goes, do you have any of those short-term notes laying around? <laughs> so I go, how much money you got? And he had like 4,500 bucks. And I go, uh, you know, enough for a used car. And uh, I said, let me see what we got. And I got him a seven-year note. And the payment was around 300 a month. And he was able to lease a brand-new Prius. Um, and he got, so he got a seven-year note. Wow. And he could lease a Prius twice for a three-year term for the same money as a used car, right? So they're the kind of strategies I like. Now, I don't know. It's not creative in the sense of a real estate deal. It's just no. creative in the... That was, that's fantastic. That's the kind of stuff I want <laughs> people to be picking up on the podcast. So I'm, I'm really, really glad that you brought that up. I know you have your own book, but what's a book that you would recommend to others if they're getting started into real estate or, or the note space? Oh, wow. You know, I read so many books. I probably read like 25 to 50 books a year. Um, wow. there's so many, well, I, part of it is what are you going into it? Um, misfortune 101 is a good book that most real estate investors don't see because it's a financial planning type book. Um, killing sacred cows is another one like that. The, um, but on the real estate side, gosh, there's so many. Um, I think, I think those two are good. Misfortune 101, <laughs> killing sacred cows. We'll throw those on. I think that'll benefit people plenty. Uh, sure. Here's a fun one. Where were you five years ago? And where do you see yourself <laughs> in five years from now? Well, five years from now, I'm, I'm, I'm probably better. Five years ago, I wasn't as far along as I am today. Uh, that's for sure. You know, um, I was in the same business because we're in our 11th year. Mm -hmm. um, but we were, you know, we were in a tough time. You know, we... My one partner was a mortgage loan officer and I was in the real estate space and I went from selling, you know, 75 houses a year at a Remax down to about seven because of the crash. And I only worked. Five's insane. Uh, any real estate agent who's listening knows that that's just crazy. But uh, a lot of, a lot of other people just like well, yeah, think you said it's some number. 75 is well, amazing. Well, what I would do, because I only worked with investors, um, you know, you might buy five or 10 houses from me. And I would get the title and I, and I do mortgages through my wife. And then, you know, I, mm. and then we, I had a contracting company. So I get paid like five times per client. Okay. Um, but then the financing dried up. So I had to look at other things. And one of the things me and my one partner said, Hey, what side of the fence do you want to be on this? This is getting ugly. You know, we're not going to be able to get financing for our clients. We're, we're basically done for a while. And we, went into the distressed debt space uh, and it worked out really well for us. So it's, uh, we're probably there to stay right now. Um, oh. I am, I still look at commercial real estate. I'm actually looking at storage centers. So, I mean, it's not like uh, I rule anything out at all. Um, but where I'm going to be five years from now, I do have more, uh, I'm, I've been a goal setter since tw age 26. Um, so I really see the value in that. And I do have a 10 year vision. I mean, our goal is to have a billion under management and we Great. can help a lot of people doing that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, 
five years from now, I'll have a half a billion under management, I hope, good, or close good. to it. So, uh, but the, uh, the big thing I'm doing now is I, I, I have a, a book that I'm launching, like you said, uh, note investing, uh, uh, real estate note investing. And then I also have an event I'm, I'm hosting on the, on the East Coast, um, a, a big networking event, and I'm excited about that. So it, I'm always keeping busy with something something along those lines, right? Because I, I like the idea of connecting with people that you meet online, but at some point you want to, you know, say hello and like, like I met yeah. with you recently, right? So yeah, yeah it's good to, uh, you know, press the flesh a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, what's your favorite way to give back? Um, through charities, we do like five a year at, at work. And in this event, I'm actually, all the proceeds are going to Project Home, which is a homeless charity in the Philadelphia and Detroit areas. And, um, I'm big on the homeless thing, homeless thing, um, because uh, well, I actually own a, a drug and alcohol recovery center with my oldest son, and we wow. a lot of the gentlemen that come through there would be homeless. So it kind of strikes a chord with me a little bit, and um, you know anybody that's doing good in that regard, because it seems to be an issue in all the major cities, pretty much. You know, so I I love that. And last question, and and this comes with your book. This comes with uh, your note investing, taking on accredited investors only. How do people find you? Oh, that's easy. Um, you could go to pprnoteco.com, pprnoteco.com, n-o-t-e-c-o.com, or you could go to um, Bigger Pockets. If you go to uh, get.biggerpockets.com forward slash note investing. You'll see uh, my landing page for the book. And, um, or you can meet me, midatlanticsummit.com and uh, come on out to the Philadelphia area on the East Coast. Uh, we have a lot of interesting uh, folks showing up. So you're more than welcome to come. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, thank you. We'll get all that into the show notes. So guys, if you're listening right now, just scroll down, you'll find the show notes and you can click on any of those links. And uh, thank you for your time. I feel I got so much value. The way you think is amazing. I especially liked when you were talking about ways of, of paying for your kid's credit card or his car payment for, you know, <laughs> less than the car payment. Would it's no business, right? It's, it's phenomenal. Thank you so much. And thank you, Adam. Until next time, think outside the box. Take care. Hey everyone, Manny Perez here. This podcast is growing fast because of listeners like you. Thank you guys. If everyone could do me one favor, will you go to iTunes right now and leave us a positive rating? This will help us get more top-notch guests for the future. Again, please go to iTunes right now and leave us a positive rating. Thank you guys and keep listening.